New community, I have the privilege of bringing you a singular announcement today, but before I do, I wanted to say a word of encouragement. First, know that we miss you and love you. We all have felt the difficulty of the new COVID reality, but in a time of unknown and uncertainty, all you can do and all that I believe is required is to take it one day at a time. We miss Sundays, we miss being together, we miss corporate worship, we miss regular small group meetings, but let us remember as a community that although we are not living into our regular rhythms, the church is still essential and new community is strong. Find encouragement today that although scattered, we are still a family and that God is working. Keep on taking steps forward every day and let us hold on to the hope that we will be a stronger people and a stronger community on the other side. Now for my one announcement, we're looking for your questions. Throughout COVID, we've been working our way through the Practicing the Present series, and now we want to hear from you. What did we miss? What topics would you like more detail about or explanation of? In an upcoming Sunday, some of our staff will answer the community's questions in the hopes that we can more fully practice the presence of God. No questions are off limits, and all questions can be emailed to staff at new-community.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Join me in this morning's call to worship, adapted from Every Moment Holy. Christ who supplies our every need, we praise you for all provisions and for the means by which they are provided. For our current work or vocation in this season of life, we give you thanks. May we work and serve with mindfulness, creativity, and kindness loving you well by loving all whom we encounter. Grant us the patience to listen, the humility to learn, and the compassion to consider others' needs before our own, remembering that we live each day as a missionary of your kingdom. Use this chapter in our life to accomplish your ends, whatever they might be. May the outworking of the gospel be always evident in our work, that our service might be ever reckoned and received as service first rendered unto you, O Christ. Amen. New community, join me in our scripture passage for today, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Please join us in a time of community confession. Father, forgive us for the ways that our own agenda about work gets in the way of your greater work. Take our pride, clouded in righteous ambition, and turn us towards humility. Take our consistent greed for more and turn us toward a posture of generosity, choosing to give rather than take. May our restless thoughts and flighty desires be made steady and patient with your grace. Set our minds on the work before us with persistence, integrity, and a passion to be a small part of your kingdom in the here and now.
Good morning, new community. Welcome to the podcast. We are glad you're with us. And uh, maybe you might be listening in the afternoon or uh, a day or two after Sunday, but we are incredibly glad that you're here. We're hopeful that you uh, are having and or had a great holiday weekend. I'm sitting here with Russ this morning, and we are going to jump into our Sunday podcast. Russ, good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, we are in the series practicing the presence of God, and this has uh, been continuing for a while, and we're looking to continue to lean into this um, way of thinking over the next little season. And today we are focused on the topic of the theology of work. Do we really have a true understanding of what it means to be workers in the kingdom of God? And so today, uh, our goal is simply to ask four or five questions that we've written down and possibly toss in a few more along the way about this idea of the theology of work and how it can draw us into understanding and experiencing God more fully. Yeah, these uh, questions, the the ones that we have come up with and have thought through, are actually uh, questions coming from lived experience, both things that Russ and I have wrestled with ourselves, uh, but then also questions that have been asked of us and um So that's kind of how we have come up with this list. And let's just begin. We'll throw it right to the first question. And I'm going to ask this one to you, Russ. It's a real softball. Mm -hmm. Where do we find work in the Bible? Great question. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, This has been something that's come up numerous times before. Uh, Where does work show up in the scriptures? Well, I think from the very beginning of the text, you get a clear picture that God is a God that enjoys and calls us into work. In fact, in Genesis 2-2, it speaks to this idea when it says that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So right from the beginning, the Bible wastes no time in conveying the importance of work. In fact, the scriptures uh, force us into understanding that um, God himself is a worker. It's part of his very nature and character. And you see this kind of scattered throughout the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, that God's very view of work and culture and our responsibility. Another thing I would add into it is that in Genesis 2.15, we're called into that very same work. The text says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So from the very beginning... There is this calling that each of us have received. And in some ways, I've talked to people in the past about it this way. Before you ever received the Great Commission, this idea that we're called to make disciples and to share the gospel with people, we all received a cultural mandate. And that Mm -hmm. mandate was to care for the garden, to be people who uh, subdued the land or creation and managed it or cared for it. And so I think it's in, in part of our very kind of DNA, the fact that we were created in the image of God, that work would be a part of what we do. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about this is this is uh, before the biblical concept or idea of the fall, right? Totally. So uh, work is not a outflowing of uh, sin nature. It is uh, part of the way that God designed us as image bearers to be like him to totally. uh, follow and to practice the same practices of work that he displays uh, in those first seven days, whether literal or not, right? Right. No, certainly it means, based on the fall that you brought up, that work will be harder. Yes. There will be yes. annoying aspects of it. Yeah. 
uh, more frustrating or whatever. But work should not be viewed as a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. Rather, it should be viewed as something that God created for his glory and for the good of the kingdom of God. And we get the opportunity to participate in it. In fact, the Bible speaks so much of work that uh, I've read it's been uh, mentioned throughout the scriptures in various forms more than 800 times, which is actually used more frequently than all of the words used to express worship, music, praise, or singing combined. Hmm. So the idea that work is just kind of some secondary thing that rarely comes up in the scriptures would be false. It is absolute central to our understanding of who God is and who we have been created to be. Yeah. So uh, that's a lot of kind of Old Testament uh, understanding of work. Do we see work in the New Testament? Uh, I think we do in multiple ways. Um, Obviously, if you take Jesus as being a central figure, um, he did not just plop down into the earth and begin his quote-unquote ministry. That wasn't until he was between the ages of 30 and 33. Most scholars would say that he started the kind of like Preaching, or, yeah. preaching stuff. Before that... Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, before that, he was really, you know, in that probably 12, 13, whenever he started, till about 30. So, I mean, 18 to 20 years of his life was, mm-hmm. as we understand, carpentry work or some form of uh, labor having to do with building. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the disciples as fishermen. We see uh, Paul as a tent maker. Yep. So there, there is littered kind of throughout uh, both Old Testament and New Testament this idea that people that were called by God had vocations and were called into their vocations, totally. uh, but then were also called uh, beyond their vocations yeah. as well. Yeah, we're even, uh, I think Ephesians and First Thessalonians both come to mind as times where the writer calls us to work in order to get food mm-hmm. or to, uh, instead of... In Ephesians 4, he's talking about this idea of replacing something. So if you speak uh, lies, don't, instead of replace it with the truth. If you steal, don't, instead work. So every time that we're drawn back to this idea of work, I think it's always in a positive sense. And so from the beginning, when Adam was created or Eve was created to do work in the garden or to bring order out of chaos, we have been called to do that same thing. Yeah. And we will at the end of time, too. We can get to that later. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So um, on to question two. Let's do it. <clears throat> um, let's say 100 people are listening to this, a couple hundred people, maybe a couple thousand. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody really knows. Um, <laughs> but we all have varying and differing jobs, right? Uh, some of our jobs are uh, outside of the house. Some of our jobs are inside of the house. Uh, so it's many different people are listening with many different vocations in mm-hmm. life. Is it, can we say that all jobs are equally important? Uh, I think we can. I don't think we'd like to. Sure. But I think we can. Yeah. Uh, that isn't to say that all jobs have the same amount of responsibility. Yeah. Okay. Would you agree with that? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, yes, I would. So there's, I think this is, and this <laughs> right. is part of what we talked about is in theory, we want to say that every single job is absolutely important. 
Yes. Uh, and is equally important with yes. every other job. Mm -hmm. So I, I think why I kind of um, am, am a little bit uh, perplexed there is maybe that's the delineation is that not all jobs carry the same responsibility, certainly. Right. But um, all jobs are important in light of our call into the kingdom of God and being kingdom people. 100%. Right. And I think some of that is defined by, we've talked about this, the way that um, you would define work. What is work? Sure. Both of us are kind of working off the definition we heard from Tim Keller uh, when kind of seeking to simply define what work is. Uh, he defined it as this, rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. So if we're to put that into more religious terms, it's taking the basic components of your particular occupation or particular uh, area of expertise and kind of bringing out all of that which is good for the shalom or the flourishing mm -hmm. of everyone. Yeah. So I think when we think of it in terms of the kingdom of God and what we're looking to accomplish, if God's ideal is shalom, is to bring us back to the garden before the fall, and that's what we will ultimately do, then we can bring order out of chaos and make excellence out of what it is we're doing all for the shalom or the flourishing yeah. of people. So this maybe gets at uh, part of the hesitancy with the, the easy answer to say, yes, all jobs are equally important, is um, it it takes the willingness of the person working the job to actually work it for the kingdom. And maybe yeah. that's where that, like the equal of, uh, e equality of importance comes in is that, um, certainly there are people that approach their vocation completely separated from their spiritual life. And in that situation, I'd say, well, maybe that job isn't quite as important as somebody who is approaching their vocation or their work life with a deep sense of calling and a deep sense of, uh, I am doing this work, not just for my own benefit, not right. just for uh, a paycheck, but I am doing this to actually advance the kingdom in my right. current context right here. Yeah. And if we all approach work that way, then absolutely, I would say. Yeah. So really we're getting at all jobs are equal, but differences lie in the way you approach your job. Yes and maybe the responsibility of your job. Yeah. So while a employee, their job is equally important to the employer, mm -hmm. there may be more responsibilities associated with running the company sure. than there are being a worker in the company. Yeah. That's not to say one is more important than the other, just simply they have different ranges of um, uh, responsibility. Yeah. And we, uh, both of us kind of happened upon this quote and I, I feel like it fits kind of in this idea of the importance of our work, the importance of our jobs. It's from Martin Luther and it says, the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. All works are measured before God by faith alone. And I think this speaks directly to this idea that we have maybe created in our minds a hierarchy of there are certain jobs that are important and then certain jobs that are just you need to do and they are not important. Mm -hmm. um, and we even see that kind of in like 
the religious realm, right? In the, oh, yeah, all the in time. The pastoral world of if you're a yeah. pastor, you are truly important. If you are not as important as the senior pastor, <laughs> certainly <laughs> the executive pastor, then the senior teaching pastor. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Being the main person, um, or but, better than that would be like the missionary. But yeah. better than that would be the foreign missionary, and then better yeah. than that, the one that went to indigenous people. Like we, yeah. we're always trying to measure ourselves against other people. Yeah. Which is why God calls us not to do that all the time. But that is what creates that in our own probably desire for self-identity. To be able to say, I'm important, I matter. Therefore, I want to be able to say my job matters more than yours. And so we create these hierarchies that I don't think are the way that God views our work. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really safe to say that uh, the foreign missionary translating the scripture into a lost language somewhere around the world, their job is just as important as the young life leader walking into uh, LC two blocks away mm-hmm. and again translating the gospel into mm-hmm. a language uh, of high school kids. And right. those things are, in my mind, if they are approached kind of with that kingdom of right. God mindset, those things are on equal footing. Right. But is it as equal a footing as? Um, serving a cup of coffee in a cafe. I think absolutely. Right. But I think the reason I bring that up is because someone could hear what you just said and say, oh, so a missionary yep. and then a young life person is a missionary in town. Yeah. We're all missionaries, right? Yes. That's We talk about that in Newcom all the time. All of us have a responsibility to make disciples. It's part of our calling. We are on mission. And if we're not leaning into that, we are not living into our true callings, right? Yeah. But apart from that, even we, whether you're making coffee, whether you're digging a ditch, whether you're planting a tree, whether you're whatever, it uh, can all be done to the glory of God. Yes. All can be done with excellence and all can be, as Martin Luther said, uh, measured before God by faith alone. Yeah. I want to come back to one thing you mentioned, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but as you were talking about the way that you approach your work, uh, it reminded me of an illustration I shared, oh man, five, six, seven years ago um, in a service where there were, there was like a person who came in the illustration to uh, a church being built mm-hmm. and there were three workers there. He walked up to the first worker and he said, what are you doing? And the worker said, can't you tell I'm moving stones, Right. It, obviously, it sounded disrespectful. He was frustrated. He's moving stones from one place to the next place to build this church. Yeah. The, he went to the next worker and said, what are you doing? And that worker said, I'm building a monument or a building that will last for centuries and be a place that everyone in the city and beyond knows about. Mm-hmm. And then he walked to the third worker and said, what are you doing? And he said, can't you tell I'm building the kingdom of God? Yeah. All three of the workers were doing the exact same task, Mm -hmm. but all three of the workers had radically different perspectives. And I think, again, this comes back to how you view your work or the way you approach your work. If it's like the first guy, you're just picking up rocks, you're just sweeping the floor, you're just whatever. I don't think you'll feel the same level of importance Mm -hmm. in your job as a person who views their very actions as mattering to both God and to neighbor, 
that person will live into the work of the kingdom of God in a much deeper level. Yeah. So then this, I mean, I think naturally goes into this third question of, uh, so how do I then take my secular job, whatever that job is, right, right, and make it a spiritual job? Right. So this is a question that both you and I have been asked numerous times. Like I work as a salesman or I work in business or I work in whatever. Maybe you guys work in a more quote unquote uh, spiritual job. How do I take my secular job? Um, or even uh, it's easy for you because you work in a spiritual totally. job. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think we've discussed this. The first primary thing you have to say is that's dualistic thinking. And you're creating a binary between secular and spiritual. To, it's, it's the wrong question. It's right? totally the wrong question. Yeah. So how do you take your work and infuse it with a perspective so that it is a kingdom of God perspective. That I think is an entirely different question because one's job is not any more inherently spiritual than another's job, even if they have different responsibilities. That would be my basic answer. Yeah. So how do we do that? Well, how do we just live into, um, our own spiritual job, every job? Well, do we have a good answer for that? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's about um, bringing your Christian witness, uh, being the person who God has called you to be personally in the midst of your vocation. Mm-hmm. And that that then informs. And if you uh, walk into the office or your uh, work setting every day uh, with that mentality, I think that then begins to inform the ways that you speak to your coworkers, the actions you take, the decisions you make. And it begins to not just be a, uh, when I leave my house, I'm no longer um, a, a witness for Christ. I'm now a employee of this job, right? but I'm still very much a witness for Christ. And I live this witness out in the midst of uh, my work setting. I don't think that means that you have a pocket full of tracks. <laughs> you're, you're walking around no, evangelizing no. uh, your coworkers. Right. But I think it's uh, you become the person in that setting that's a safe person to talk to. You become the person in that mm-hmm. setting that's kind. You become a person in that setting that's generous. You become a person in that setting that uh, it lives with integrity. You become a person yeah. in that setting uh, that is faithful and loyal and all those things. Right. And people will see the Christ in you if you live that way. Absolutely. 100%. I can guarantee that. Yeah, totally. Um, I remember my dad would say this to me probably all the time growing up. Uh, Whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. So this New Testament verse that um, may be slightly taken out of context, but the big idea behind it is, no matter, I think the text even says, whether you eat or sleep Mm -hmm. or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. So the most basic of human actions, those could even be done to the glory of God, which means that our work, if we show up every day, the nine to five or whatever hours you work, and you put in the kind of actions you were just describing and do it for the purpose of bringing glory to God, not only will you fundamentally stand out as opposed to other employees or workers, but... I actually think you'll gain much more value out of your work because it isn't being done for yourself. It isn't being done for your paycheck. It isn't being done to prove something to your boss. It's simply being done as a manifestation of how you worship God, which totally shifts perspective and I think is significant. The other thing I would add 
that I think you're getting at when you talk about generosity and love and the way you work with your coworkers is that um, work is actually a way of loving loving your neighbors. Hmm. And so if we lean into that idea too, that if we've really been called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then love your neighbors as yourself, both of those actions can be done in the nine to five window. Yeah. Right? So we tend to think of, well, church time or spiritual time is on Sunday between this yeah. time and this time or devotional time between this time and this time. But we tend not to think of work as an opportunity to live, to glorify God, and to love our neighbor as yeah. ourself. Well, and we also think of our neighbors as the people that live yep. uh, on the left and right of us and uh, and maybe across the street. And outside of that, we don't have neighbors right. because we're, right. we've contained or we've, uh, we've tried to isolate our lives so much. But Yeah. But think about it for a moment. Think about how much time you've spent. Like, think about anyone within five houses of you. Yeah. And then add up the amount of time you've spent with them over the last year. Yeah. Then 15 total minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But then the person sitting in the cubicle next to oh, you, yeah. add up the amount of time you've spent with them or the coworker that you went out to lunch with or whatever. Yeah. In the last six months, and you'd be blown away. Who's more of a neighbor? I mean, that's part of what Jesus is probably getting at when he's like, is your neighbor the, the Samaritan? Is your neighbor the, the, you know, the priest or whoever? We're all neighbors. Yeah. And until we have that perspective that it isn't just the person living next to you, but the person you're constantly rubbing shoulders with, yeah. then maybe we won't see it the way God intended. I, I think it's interesting. We've, um, and I don't, I cannot remember the numbers for any of this stuff, but there's that uh, idea of, you know, once your kids go to school, you have already spent more time with them in that first five or six years than you will for the rest of their time under your roof, right? Because they're at school and they're in activities and yeah. all those things. Um, That's sad, Kevin. Uh, I know. Sorry to bring <laughs> well, a downer to this. Because but. I read one about when they turn 18 or when they leave your home. Yeah. So I you know, had one leave. Yeah. I'm about to have another one walk out. And they say you've already spent when they're three quarters of the time you will. Yeah. With, that you'll ever spend with them yeah. in your entire life. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That's gross. But you think about it on the other way, and this is the way that maybe we don't talk about yeah. it. Uh, I'm sure there are pretty some there are some pretty st- uh, significant statistics or numbers that could be set aside of how much time an individual spends with their coworkers versus time with their family, their spouse, their kids. It's got to be oh, you know, yeah. a, a huge discrepancy between that because, like you said, for many of us that work alongside people on a daily mm-hmm. basis, that's eight hours a day mm-hmm. that you're working alongside that person, that neighbor of right. yours, versus the four or five or six hours that you have in the evening with your family or whatever. Right. So um, if you just look at time allotment, that's that's maybe a convicting place right there to say, how am I using this, this God-given time of my life mm-hmm. in this job that I am doing right now? to actually make a difference, to actually be neighborly, to right. actually be a witness to Christ. Right. So let me piggyback off that and say, I agree with your statistics on that. The statistics. The I imaginary statistics, <laughs> yeah. which is also I, a statistic. I really, yeah, I really the number of times appreciate you, <laughs> you agreeing with my imaginary statistics. Right. But, but working off that line of thinking, a case could be made that someone who goes and works at a bank alongside of a coworker or someone who works in a cafe along other coworkers or whatever job you are currently leaning into, that you actually have more time to make disciples than a pastor does in a given week. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, I think pastors and missionaries or whatever are seen as like the, the whole of what we do is to disciple people or to share the gospel sure. or whatever. And while that is a large portion of what we do, the truth is you have whoever else, whatever occupation has as much time yes. to be shaping the thinking and caring for people and loving their neighbor as perhaps we or others in vocational ministry yeah. would have. Yeah. Which is why um, I think New Community has taken the posture for the last what decade or so that uh, everyone on staff is bivocational mm-hmm. at some level. Um, while that's Ex- not... Explain what bivocational yeah. means. So there's several ways of looking at bivocational, uh, not to get too far into the weeds. Yeah. And we have not even planned to really discuss it. But um, bivocational would be having two occupations at the same time. Now, people are bivocational for various reasons. Sometimes it's two part-time jobs to make enough money that would equal one full-time job. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are bivocational because... Uh, in the place of like Paul in the scriptures or in the place of many church planters or whatever, you work a job uh, during the week in order to make money and resources enough to sustain life so that you could work a job that cannot pay you or can only pay you minimally. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two jobs are needed in order to provide sustenance for the family and to, you know what I mean. So um, we don't kind of view bivocationalism the same way. We would view it more as God has created all of us to be vocational beings. And vocation is beyond just what happens in your occupation. Mm -hmm. So I think for myself, speaking for myself, that I am not just only a quote unquote pastor or minister of the gospel. There are other passions, giftings, and callings that God has given to me that I get to express uh, outside of this occupation. And so that's kind of why we lean into it is because it gives us greater access to the city. It gives us more influential relationships with people in the community. It gives us opportunity to rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. If all I did was spend all of my time with people that are a part of a new community, um, I would actually not be really sharing the gospel yeah. with many people at all. Yeah. But being able to be in the city gives me opportunity to to really live out my faith in front of people in ways that I can't within the church. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts on why you also lean into bivocationalism? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me it's a, it's a couple things. Um, <clears throat> Certainly, the uh, the evaluation and uh, the understanding of the way that I'm created and the things that uh, that enliven me and uh, and awake my soul. Um, this may be shocking to everybody, but they're not all contained in the church world. Right. <laughs> and so, I, I have passions and dreams and things I enjoy doing that are outside of uh, kind of the realm of uh, of the Christian church. Um, in terms of its organizational right. uh, structure, true of every 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 right. single person, yeah. right? Yeah, um, I think for me too, it has been um, 
like you kind of mentioned, it gives us the ability to rub shoulders with people that, that maybe don't have a faith background, right. uh, don't know who Jesus is. It has been, um, it, it has been like this incredible kind of testing ground of how are you actually a witness to mm-hmm. your faith and a witness to who Christ is uh, as Lord and Savior in the context of uh, a place where people are not expecting it and right. in a context of a job where people are maybe not expecting it. Um, and so for me, it has been this um, kind of this great uh, uh, place for trial and error of um, what does it really mean to um, to advance the kingdom of God outside of a church setting and into a business setting right. and uh, and live into a different way of, uh, of conducting business that will impact people's lives and um, and will hopefully make a difference in not only kind of the individual, but also then the community at large. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, so in light of us not having a secular slash spiritual job division mm-hmm. and all jobs having equal worth and dignity in the kingdom of God, um, how do you guarantee... Or how do you strive to guarantee that in the business you oversee, it maintains the same kind of values of the kingdom that you would want the church to look like? Yeah. So how do you lean into that? How do you prioritize discipleship of people, even your quote unquote secular or business job yeah. as opposed to your quote unquote spiritual job? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. And I think this is uh, what has been so uh, fun about this process for me and, uh, you know, in our discussions, I know for you as well, is um, figuring that out and uh, and learning how to uh, live in that way in a context that's outside of, uh, of new community. For me, uh, I think a couple of things come to mind is um, one is it's uh, all decisions, uh, all um, actions made in the kind of the business side of my life have to be value driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to come from a place of uh, a, a deep conviction of who Christ is in my life mm-hmm. and uh, the way that I am called to be a disciple. Um, for that to happen, what I have found personally, and this is just uh, more kind of um, anecdotal from my own my own life, I have to slow my decision-making process down Mm -hmm. and I have to be incredibly thoughtful of the things that I am doing, the things that I'm saying, uh, the ways that I'm managing this business um, because I want to make sure that the only filter I'm looking at through is the filter of Christ and the filter Mm -hmm. of uh, who Jesus has called me to be in this setting. So um, I can't just think about how do I maximize profits or uh, how do I... Uh, grow my business uh, to be bigger, um, more clients, more members, more people. I have to think through what does it look like to be the kingdom in this place? And mm-hmm. that may equate to better profits. That sure. may equate to growth in business, sure. but it may not either. It may right. equate to a decision that says, well, I have to actually limit the amount of people mm-hmm. that we can have, um, or I have to limit the amount of income that can come in from this place because. I need to continue to be about people first and mm-hmm. foremost. I need to continue to be uh, a place where um, 
an individual that walks in these doors feels cared for, feels loved, and sees something different in this this environment. So we don't have this question on any of our lists, but um, you you mentioned a filter. Mm -hmm. So when I think of a filter, I think of like a strainer. You pour something through and it like keeps certain things out and it lets other things through. Uh, I know I've described that in the past in my own life as a grid Mm -hmm. through which I see the world. So if I can work my decision through that grid, hopefully what comes out at the bottom or that strainer or filter, what comes out is something that's going to look like the kingdom of God, carry the values of the kingdom. Um, What are some of those things that are necessary in the filter for you? So, like, I'll give one yeah. for myself. Um, with uh, with ninety plus, one of the things that we want to value, and I think we do at the church too, is excellence. Hmm. So, if you can't, if you God, everything God did, He called good. It was excellent. Yeah. It was perfect. Right. Uh, even the way He created us is with that intention that we're made in the image of God, and they were perfectly designed by God. If God makes all things good, then it would be inherently true that as image bearers, if we're bringing order out of chaos, that we ourselves would create something that's good, creative, excellent, and we would strive for that excellence. So to offer a product, to offer a coffee that's crappy, does not seem to me to be doing all to the glory of God or to making the kingdom of God any better. So the coffee I serve would have to be the best quality, the most excellent I could offer. And so for 90 plus, that's a, something that has to filter through. If, hmm. if we can't do it excellently, then maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe it should be for someone else to do, or maybe we should limit the numbers of kids that we're able to impact so sure. that we can do it more effectively and more excellently. So what's, what are some of the maybe other filters or, or yeah. values or things that stand out for you? Yeah. Uh, the first one that came to mind, and this is, we have uh, three kind of core values uh, that that help guide or um, shape uh, the way that we conduct business. The first one that came to mind is relentlessness. So it's this idea that we will be relentless in our effort to care for people mm-hmm. uh, and to provide um, what we have promised to provide individuals. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, this is something I speak to the rest of my staff often that, um, we we will not give up on an individual. So mm-hmm. my uh, the business I own is uh, in the fitness industry, and it's um, that can be a very vulnerable place for individuals. Sure. They come in um, wanting to see life change. Right, everybody that walks into a gym either wants to get stronger or lose weight or feel better about themselves or whatever the reasons right. are. But it's all always precipitated on this idea of change. Mm-hmm. I want change in my life. That's a vulnerable place to come in. And that gives us a, a very unique um, place into an individual's life. For sure. We will be relentless and we will continue to be a relentless staff uh, when walking alongside those people kind of on their journey towards health and wellness. And so uh, we don't give up on people, even when they might give up on themselves and mm-hmm. say, this is too hard. This is not working. Right. We say, nope. We will not let you give up, and we will. We are here with you, and so it's this kind of idea that um, that that we are not a people that walks away, but we are a people that walks through the messiness and the hard things of life and the challenges of life, and we will walk alongside individuals mm-hmm. as they are willing to do that as well. Mm-hmm. 
so we use this word relentlessness, right? But that is very much coming from a biblical idea that Jesus does not give up and will never give up on us. And his love is relentless and his grace is relentless and his mercy is relentless. And so these things, again, are formed and kind of repackaged in a, uh, in a business realm, but they are very much built on the foundation of who Christ is. Right. Yeah. I, another one that stands out for me, because I know it's, it would be true of you, and it might not be listed in your quote-unquote core values or, uh, or even 90 pluses core values, but it's definitely driven in our philosophy, and that is that we will always value the person mm-hmm. over the profit yeah. or the person over the player. Yeah. So for us, as a youth sports development organization, we obviously want athletes, students to become more effective at the skills they're trying to acquire. But we will never prioritize that over them developing as a whole person in character and leadership and et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I think for all of us, kind of shifting gears a little bit, uh, to know what it is you value to know what it is to make disciples, to know what is true of the kingdom of God and who Jesus is, is vital to creating that grid through which you look at the world. Because then the decision-making becomes much easier because you're, you're, you've already have some guiding principles and some values that lead you to the, yeah. the direction you should go. And, and I think, I mean, just on a really practical level, writing those things down, can be helpful yeah. uh, because I, I I can speak from experience when you were in your work life your uh, your desk or wherever you were at it is very easy to get sidetracked and mm-hmm. it is very easy to get your business hat on or your work mm-hmm. hat on and just think okay I've got to do what I've got to do here to get my job done right. um, and that's where I feel like for me I oftentimes have to slow down and not just say right. okay I'm running a business but no I'm actually advancing the kingdom of God through this business right. And that takes a slower process sometimes, mm-hmm. and that takes that that like constant um, kind of self dialogue about what are the things that I know are important, right. what are the values uh, that we are trying to live by, and every decision, every action I make mm-hmm. has to align with those values. Yeah. So you referred to writing them down. I mean, some people have described it as writing a manifesto. Yeah. Right. Or a set of these values or beliefs, because then. When you do slow down, you pull that sheet of paper back out and you say, okay, if this is the decision confronting me, the thing I have to do, then how does that align with what I've already said is the deepest and most important values in my life, right? Which in some ways moves us to the question that we're asked a lot. And that is, uh, how do I know if I should dot, dot, dot? Yeah. Take the promotion. Yep. Uh, what about transferring to another state? My job wants me to, to move. Or mm-hmm. uh, should I do my same job for, is this the rest of my, yeah, <laughs> rest yeah. of I my mean, life, right? We, or do we, I change jobs? Right. Yeah. yeah. All of that stuff. Uh, should I move from being an employee to an employer? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that God has kind of in my... Um, my future. So all of that really encompasses this idea of decision-making. So as it relates to the work you do and the thing you're called into, how do you make good decisions um, about that? What, what would we suggest or what would even the text suggest as it relates to this? Yeah. So again, I I think I go back to that idea of values. I mean, whatever decision you are uh, making, I think you have to uh, 
use that grid or that filter to say, does this align with my values? So one that um, I have been in a number of conversations about is people that say, I really, really value community and uh, value the people that I am doing life with um, are here, let's say in Spokane, and now there is a job promotion that is outside of Spokane. Right. Should I take that? Should I leave established community that I have here that I'm investing in uh, to take this job promotion? It's not always an easy no because you value community, but that's one of those places where you have to really have a discernment process in place to say, um, what does it mean to value community, but then leave and establish community in a new place? Right. And people, I've seen people do that really well mm-hmm. and, uh, and say, this is a season where God is calling me into something else mm-hmm. and I will continue to live my value of community in a different setting, mm-hmm. doing a different job. And then I have seen people say, this promotion is not right for me, even though it be a bump in pay and status and good for my resume, right. because... I value community so deeply mm-hmm. that I need to stay here in Spokane and right. continue to do the job that I'm currently doing. Right. Yeah, we've seen all of that happen. Uh-huh. We've seen people take promotions or take a new job and it'd be disastrous too because they either left the community yep. and that stable like connection and, and place of belonging um, or because it just wasn't a good fit, but they were more preoccupied with advancement or promotion than they were with like how does this affect me how does it affect the whole family yeah Uh, so those are really challenging decisions but it comes down uh, often to values well i think one of the uh truest things that we see in the gospel and throughout the entire gospel narrative is advancement personal advancement is never really a thing that's discussed right i mean it's it's all about servitude it is all about being the least of these it is never about uh, ascending to a higher level or right. ascending to uh, anything. The only thing that we're supposed to advance is the kingdom of God. Right. And that seems that seems pretty clear. And that doesn't mean that you can never take a promotion or, uh, right. or take a new job with more responsibility. But I do think that that's an important thing to understand and to know about our call as yeah. uh, followers of Jesus. But, but I think what you're saying is it comes down to motives. So totally. seek yeah. first the kingdom yeah. and all these other things will be added unto you, yeah. right? So the other things might be added that you should take the promotion, you should uh, take on more responsibility, but that's because you're seeking the kingdom yeah, first. Absolutely. And you, you're not mixing up yeah. what gets the priority. Yeah. The the other thing that I would say um, that uh, Grace, uh, my wife and I have found to be incredibly helpful is actually having a, a communal discernment process yes. in place uh, is to invite other people into our um kind of life altering decisions and say, this option or this opportunity has come before us. Help us to understand, is this the right move for us as a family? Are we in a healthy enough spot to do this? Is this the right move uh, for us in terms of our uh, advancement of the kingdom Mm -hmm. or our seeking first of the kingdom? And we did this when we opened the gym seven years ago. We invited our small group around and said, this has been an opportunity placed before us. I personally felt incredibly excited, passionate about it, but I also knew that uh, sometimes you can kind of get lost in yourself and you can make decisions that are not wise. And so we said, 
this is what we're thinking. And we've sought counsel from our small group. We sought counsel from uh, the new community elders and staff. And resoundingly across the board, everybody said, we think this is a great next step for you. Mm -hmm. and that didn't mean we had all the plans laid out and that we knew how the next right. year or right. six years would unfold. But it certainly gave us the ability to say, we have invited other people into our process. We have been vulnerable in that way. And we have listened to the wisdom mm -hmm. that they have spoken to us. And we will now take steps forward yeah. and we'll continue that process. Yeah. Uh, for context, because we've been together for 10 years or whatever, uh, you've also done that and the community has come back and said, no, I don't think this is a great fit or yeah. this isn't a good time for a particular decision. Yeah. I know that's been true of me multiple times too. Um, even as simple as, this might sound stupid, but um, we have lived in a two bedroom, one bath house for quite a long time, uh, last 13 years. And... Um, just having one bath with six people can sometimes be yeah. challenging. Uh, and so we considered um, like figuring out how to add a second bathroom. And we talked about our finances and we showed the small group, like, here's what we can afford. Here's what we can't. Here's what the cost might be. Da -da. At the end of the day, the conclusion was, obviously, we could do whatever we felt God sure. had called us to. But the community collectively was like, it might not be the best idea. Yeah. And so... We still are in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house because the community spoke into something we invited them to speak into, and communal discernment took place. Yeah. And I think that's vital, regardless of whether it's adding on to your house, regardless of whether it's a job promotion sure. transfer, regardless of change of career, whatever. Yeah. Um, you could, in the most simplest of things, invite people uh, into your world to, to offer advice, and I think you're going to be more likely to find what it is that God is calling you into. So eight years ago, uh, I was on staff. I had been on staff here for two uh, two years and had, uh, just kind of my natural um, kind of cycle of my life is every couple of years, I get a little bit restless and start wondering, man, is this, am I doing this for the next 40 years? <laughs> so after two years here at New Community, I kind of felt that restlessness and really felt like maybe church planting, mm -hmm. uh, a different expression of church in Spokane might be the next call. And right. we got to the point where we had gathered a kind of exploratory committee of people that had committed to say, we're with you in this. Mm -hmm begin to think about how it might look, uh, where it might happen in Spokane. And I can remember two very distinct conversations that I had, uh, one with a guy named Jeff Reinhardt, who many of you know, has been a great friend of mine for many years, and then one with another guy that some of you might know, Russ Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Invited both of those people into my life to say, this is what I'm thinking. Obviously, Russ kind of knew this from the very beginning as he was a part of the process and said, speak into my life if you think mm -hmm. that this is a great next step. Resoundingly, both of those men said, Kevin, I think this would potentially be a disaster. <laughs> Not that you couldn't do it or you sure. don't have the skills or the abilities, right. but a disaster in terms of where your passions lie and mm -hmm. uh, maybe truly uh, what you are seeking to do. And I can remember those two conversations not as being soul crushing, right. but as an, a, an affirmation of this is how God has wired you. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you launching out on your own and doing uh, helping lead a different expression of church is a great fit right. for uh, what you love and your passions and your right. giftedness. And uh, that has altered my life in an incredible way. And I am so thankful that I was, uh, that I had people come in and be willing to speak, you know, potentially hard things, but also mm -hmm. really, really good things into my life. Yeah. But I would also say you 
have to be humble enough to hear them. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, um, and this is not me bragging on humility or something, yeah. but it, if you're so convinced by the decision already, don't offer it to the community. Sure. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you're just going to do what you want to do anyway. And there is nothing worse for people in community to be brought something like that <laughs> right. when you know the person has no intention <laughs> yeah. of actually listening yeah. to you. Then yeah. it's a farce at that point. Yeah. Uh, but if it's genuine and real, I honestly believe God speaks to us through those things. Yes. And so if the question that we're trying to answer is, how do you know if I should? Man, filter it through that grid that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Lean into your values. And then um, obviously you're praying and reading scripture yep. and seeking God in it. But take it to the community um, yeah. because I think God communicates in powerful ways through that. Take it to the community and actually be willing to listen yeah. and be willing to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right, one uh, final question, uh, and I'll offer it up to you. If yeah. work is so important, you've been talking about a theology of work. It's a way for us to experience the presence of God. It's a way for us to live into our vocation, um, a way for us to love our neighbors and to honor and glorify God in everything that we do then why are we called <clears throat> in the Ten Commandments to also lean into Sabbath, to yeah. not work, to yeah. set it aside? Why, if it's so important, why the call to Sabbath? Yeah, uh, a couple of things. I mean, one, it's the model that we're given, right? right. I mean, we see uh, the Creator work for six days and then Sabbath. Right. Um, Timothy Keller says this, to practice Sabbath is a disciplined and faithful way to remember that you are not the one who keeps the world running, who provides for your family, not even the one who keeps your work projects moving forward. For me, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's about balance. It's about rhythm. It's about, um, following in that model that is laid out. And I really think it is a way to continually remind ourselves, humble ourselves Mm -hmm. before the creator, before the sustainer to Mm -hmm. say, I am not the one who keeps all of this stuff moving. Mm -hmm. You are the one who provides, you are the one who is in control and I can work as hard as I possibly want to, Mm -hmm. but ultimately you are the person, uh, you are the God who keeps this thing uh, okay. running and keeps my life sustained. Um, so it's it's a way, I think, to uh, provide balance, uh, to provide uh, a healthy rhythm in our life. But it's also a way to acknowledge that God is far bigger than you are yeah. uh, in your individual efforts. When you were saying that, the verse that came to mind is um, something along the lines of, unless the Lord build the house or build the work, the laborers labor in vain. Yeah. So... You might be just running hard, yeah. going after something. But the truth of the matter is if you can lean into a little bit more dependence, a little bit more trust, a little bit more of God doing the work on your behalf, um, you might find um, that space of dependence gives you a different rhythm that really is life-giving. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think rest, I think dependence, as you described, rhythm. I think when um, God speaks to the people of Israel, he reminds them, remember what you came from. Yeah. So I brought you out of Egypt. He's really speaking to this. I brought you out of repetitive, nonstop work that was killing you. Yeah. And I'm bringing you into a space and I'm reminding you once again that you can rest. Yeah. And that I'm the one that sustains it. I'm the one that creates it. And I think if we can get into that rhythm, um, 
we're going to be much, much better yeah. off. I think that the danger of a message like this is uh, somebody listens and then says, I'm already putting in 10 hours a day mm-hmm. at my job, five days a week, mm-hmm. 12 hours, 13 hours, whatever. Sure. Now I have to be a missionary in my work, which is going to mm-hmm. create extra conversations with my coworkers and more after work mm-hmm. barbecues. <laughs> and, um, and, you, and you actually just create more uh, stuff mm-hmm. to do. I, I mean, I, I think it is safe to say being a, uh, being faithful to your Christian witness is it's, it takes effort. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not oh, just yeah. something that happens. You have intentional. to be intentional. Yep. You have to mm-hmm. uh, show up. Again, with that filter, with that grid. Yeah. You can't just clock in and clock out. Totally. Right. But I also don't think, um, I think we would be remiss if we listen to this message and say, okay, now I need to work harder. Right. Now I need to uh, do more stuff to be uh, faithful to Christ in in my uh, vocation, in my job. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does take effort. It does take that grid. But also, we are called to rest. We are called mm-hmm. to be a people that knows how to put aside mm-hmm. the work and to be uh, just in front of the Lord with our family yeah. in, a, in a place of yeah. rest. And that's a that's critically important just for long, uh, long-term yeah. health and longevity in your work and, right. and in your life. So I think Sabbath is a reminder that there's limits. Yeah. But I would even say on days of work, we should be reminded that there's limits. Yeah. So I was talking with uh, a person yesterday, and um, they were basically, if I was to summarize what they said, uh, at my place of employment, there are so many people I could impact I can't get to everybody. What do I do? Yeah. And I said, you're not supposed to get to everyone. Yeah. Period. Jesus didn't ever get to everybody. Right. So if he didn't, and he set up times where he walked away, then the same could be said of us where we have to limit it. And for me, it's really asking the question, can you blend what it is you're doing? Not to add more to your work. Yeah but to infuse the work you're already doing with kingdom witness or to infuse it with love and grace. And then can you ask God specifically, who is it that you're asking me to influence and impact? It can't be everyone in the office place. So who are you rubbing shoulders with more frequently? Who is it that God has put a burden on your heart for? And so if we think about limiting the number of people we impact, limiting the number of hours we work, and then in general, making sure we create space to rest from creativity, to cease to work, yeah. to strive. Cease to produce. Yep. Yeah. I think um, it's a must. Yeah. And even from just a social uh, perspective, to do that reinvigorates you to go back in and work very well yeah. in the weeks to follow. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, I have to be uh, honest and vulnerable. This is a tough one for me because mm-hmm. there is always more stuff that can be done. Sure. And especially, maybe not especially, but in my kind of bivocational life, um, there are there are a lot of um, plates that need to be spun and spun yeah. well. And you don't want to drop any of them. Right. Um, and so to cease to produce can be uh, a really tough call. But I have found when I have been faithful to that, when I have really leaned in to that, uh, which I would say this kind of COVID season that we're in, I have not done a great job of leaning into that. Um, but I'm trying to come out of it to say there there needs to be a day where I'm not producing things or not seeking to produce things. I actually then have a, uh, a more centered heart, a more centered focus 
that following week. Mm -hmm. uh, when all I'm doing is working every single day or producing every single day, it's very easy to get unfocused and it's very yeah. easy to forget why I'm actually doing the things I'm doing. Yeah. This in some ways maybe answers the question for me on how do you practice the presence of God in the midst of your work or your yeah. vocation. I find that when I am striving, I find that when I'm putting in the really long hours or feeling like the, the to-do list is never done and I got to keep getting after it, it's in those moments that I am less dependent on God. Yeah. When I can stop, it requires trust that I don't always want to give. It requires faith that I don't always want to have. Yeah. But if I can do that, it's where I see God show up the most because there's 10 things on the to-do list. I consciously say, God, I'm not going to strive. I've put a limit. I'm handing it to you. I pray about it. And I am shocked sometimes when I come back to the to-do list and either somebody else who hasn't been asked has already done it or it just comes off the list for whatever reason. And I find that the list of 10 things is really a list of one thing yeah. and I did nothing to accomplish it. Yeah. And that is a huge reminder of the presence of God. It's a reminder of the importance of faith. And uh, so I guess my encouragement would be new community lean into the callings you've been given. Know that your work matters to God. Yes. That everything you do is of utmost importance and that the way you do it even speaks more importantly into than what you do, yeah. the way you do it, the intentions, the motives behind it, and do it to please the Lord and to love your neighbor. And in the midst of it, I think you'll experience more fully the presence of God. Yeah. We love you, new community. Have a great week. Join me in the benediction. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever we do, in word or deed, may we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. Amen.